I got an episode pitch for you guys, by the way. Yeah, let's hear it, man. So the, the only one I could come up with a half-decent hook for is X-Factor 78. I think that's the one. That's Jay the, Lee? No, it's... Um, it, I might have the number wrong. It's Quesada, and it's the, like... Um, it's a... Doc Sampson is interviewing them like it's a... Um, you know that ep- issue? I, I, yeah. I have it. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sure. Anyway, anyway. With, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the hook is... Um, Marvel Comics classic or editorial vanity project right. because they they reprinted that as one of the um they reprinted it as a facsimile edition with the ads in it and the, i'm convinced <laughs> the only reason it is because quesada is editor-in-chief yeah so the question so it would be fun to look through it and then decide decide like is this actually a good comic or is this just quesada like stroking himself i like it that i like good. it <laughs> and i'm on the side that it's actually a good comic i don't know if it's a classic but i'm on the side it's a great comic Well, it's just that, you know, for, for when I first started teaching in 2009, um, I would have like four, four dudes in class who wanted to do superhero books. And in the next few years, it was one less, one less. And now I'm lucky if I have a dude. It's almost all women and nobody wants to do like, like superhero stuff. It's that, but I think we may be crossing over. You're talking about like that throwback to uh, Vigil. We may be crossing over because I finally had a student that was like, um, you know, the, the 90s style of drawing gets really shat on, but I think it's so cool. I was like, I got a YouTube channel you should watch. <laughs> <laughs> drop so. out of this Drop out of this class. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go watch All you guys. need to know, you're going to learn from Cartoonist Kayfabe, kids. I think, I think that's a good way to uh, to introduce uh, the R. Kikuo Johnson shoot interview. My name is Ed Piskor. I'm Jim Rugg. We're not burying the lead. R. Kikuo Johnson, real deal shoot interview style in person. We're hanging out in Maui. We're not looking at palm trees. We're not night fishing. <laughs> <laughs> We're not doing anything but talking comics, man. And we have the man of the hour here, Maui's own, Arkakuo Johnson. What's that new book you got coming out? Well, My, it is out, right? It's out, yep. Came out last month. Um, it's called No One Else. Uh, it's a dramedy um, uh, from Fanographics. Really excited to finally have it out. And uh, yeah, long time in the making. Feels so good to be back in comics. Um, been doing mostly editorial since since Night Fisher came out, but finally found some time to do the real passion, so. Back in the comics, man, we're definitely gonna hit that, but uh, going along with what you said at the very beginning about your students, I think it was uh, Steve Bissett who teaches at the uh, Center for Cartoon Studies. Sure. He uh, basically parrots exactly what you said. Uh, for a while, his his barometer was to ask the the students, like like, who reads uh, main tr- pamphlet comics. Sure. Who goes? Who's a Wednesday warrior? And those hands became less and less and less to the point where zero, zero. not one of his students is uh, go like reading comic shop comics. They're they're they're, they're on uh, webtoon and uh, online stuff, graphic novels. Pretty much a hundred percent. So I have uh, like. What do you teach? I teach comics at the Rhode Island School of Design. Um, and I teach a, it's like an intensive five-week course. So RISD's kind of set up like a trimester where the middle semester, you just take one class. And so I have these kids in the middle of winter for an intensive five-week class. They're uh, five-hour classes multiple times a week. And there's nothing to do in Providence. So they're just stuck with me drawing comics. And it's the best. It's, it's, it's such a, I learned so much from them. But uh, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like none of them read any of the superhero books. Occasion, it used to be where when I first started out, I was like, 
oh, here's the guy where every assignment is, you know, like a superhero thing. And now I'm excited when I get one. I'm like, oh, because I, I can speak that language. Like, I, if he wants to, you know, draw that, that fight scene, that's not necessarily a lot of my work, but, but I grew up with that stuff, so I, can, I feel like I can actually help him in that, in that direction. It's so funny to think of, like, you grew up that way. You know, I, I read your work before I met you, and I would have had assumptions about your background, what you were into, what you were reading, what you liked. We're like the last generation that grew up reading those superhero comics. Yeah. That was the only thing that was available when we were kids, and it feels like everybody of a certain age, 35, 40, something like that, we all have that same overlap of, like, this is what we all grew up with, and then you go out on your own direction. Yeah. It just no longer exists. Uh, you know, as a teacher, like, how, how bizarre is it? Do you have these conversations of, like, I've got 20 students, and they are just all speaking different languages because the stuff they come up on... It's different. It's unique to each of them. Is that your experience? Um, yes and no. So even like um, I, I try to like teach the class totally just as like a, a class of grammar, like how to how to use to tell picture with story. So no matter what style, I, I almost teach no drawing. Like there, I don't know how to teach drawing. I don't know how people teach drawing. There are so many great drawing professors at RISD to teach that stuff. I'm just looking at like what are what is the image of and how does it connect to the next image to tell the story? How does it work with the words? So if the kid, and a lot of kids want to do, you know, stuff that's fantasy-based things, even though it's not necessarily superheroes, and other kids are doing slice of life, and, and some people have a lot of drawing ability, some, even at RISD, are drawing like it, Dilbert, uh, and I, I welcome all styles, and you know, it's, as I'm mostly just trying to focus on the, you know, telling the story. And that's the most exciting thing to talk about, like helping, helping kids tell their own personal stories, so it feels so good. You're some pretty exceptional teachers yourself when you were a student, huh? D I sure did. I feel so lucky for that. Name yeah. some names, man. Well, um, David Mazzucchelli was like the best teacher I ever had. Um, and uh, that was also just a really cool class because um, maybe, I mean, back to that other conversation, being the last, we maybe literally have been, the, we're the last generation um, of like, we, there was a bunch of dudes who were in my class with David Mazzucchelli, so Paulo Rivera. What, what years, by the way? Oh, so I, I, I took David's class my senior year, um, which would have been 2003 at, at, at RISD, and David didn't teach much longer after that um, at RISD. Um, but, um, so Paulo Rivera's in my class. We lived together for eight years in Brooklyn. He's practically my brother. We lived in Hawaii for a while. He came and stayed with me for a minute. Um, Joe Quinones, who... Uh, uh, also, just turning out amazing work right now, um, was a classmate. He, he took David's class um, the semester before us. Um, and uh, uh, Ryan Brown, I can't forget Ryan Brown, God Hates Astronauts, was in my class um, with me. So it was, it was like a bunch of dorks, like, <laughs> like living our dream, having David Mazzucchelli, like say the word, I remember the feeling of sitting in a classroom and hearing the word comics like five times in a row. And it was just like such a thrill. Yeah. What was what was your major? I was an illustration major. Yeah, I I applied as a graphic design student just because growing up in Hawaii, like the idea that you could be a professional. Oh, duck! Welcome to Kahului. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting ready for New Year's, and it's gonna, this neighborhood's going to go off. It's going to be a smokestorm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People in Hawaii love fireworks and I New Year's. Grandma and dog, man. Mm. You're gonna peel them up. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I was an illustration major, I, but I applied as, you don't, you, you, they ask you to uh, an, announce a major when you apply, but you don't have to stick with it. And I, I said I was going to be a graphic designer because that was literally the only job I knew that artists could have. Like here on Maui, it was like, 
I didn't know anybody that was an illustrator. I didn't know anybody that would like, I mean, I, 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 had, a, I had an idea obviously that these guys drew comics for a living, but it seems so out of reach that like graphic design just seemed like the job. What'd you grow up with in terms of making comics? Like, like had you made mini comics and stuff? here when, when you were still in Maui before you went to RISD? I have, I have a stack like this of like, um, like all pencil mini comics of my superhero Windman, which is like, might be the lamest. Um, <laughs> that sounds like, it sounds like a Mega Man villain. Yeah, he, well, he looked like, it was like, I was ripping off, I think a He-Man character where like the bottom half was a tornado. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess I, I don't know, but I had, there was a stack of them. So clearly I was, I was invested. And then what's funny is on the first, the first issue, like the the corner box is inked by my friend and he like t touched it that much and that was the last time i've collaborated on comics because that, <laughs> that that inking was weak man I, can't, I could not have that on Windman. there's that famous uh cloud story where he said that uh, he had he had his wife erica spot the blacks of like one panel <laughs> of, of a david boring page and it made him so like every time he sees it he feels like he uh shortchange the readers like, <laughs> like, he, like he just not anti her but just like i let somebody touch my page that's yeah. amazing yeah was the plan like always comics or or did you get away from them at some point and come back yeah when i was well when i was little it's just that's all i cared about was making comics um but the other kind of the other art we have you know on maui we don't have museums or anything but we do have like a lot of galleries that sell like um american impressionist landscapes to tourists and some of those guys are are technically amazing. They're really, really, really good. Um, and I would like go in there and just like see this beautiful paint um, on, on canvas. And for a while, I actually got a I got a box easel, and I would actually go out and try to like paint at first with pastels, and then later when I was actually in art school, oil paints, and and thought I wanted to be like a landscape painter, which <laughs> seems crazy to me now. Um, but that, all that stuff informed Night Fisher, you know, like by the time that I actually went back to comics my junior year um, of college, like m making images out of a web of brush marks was like the default way I thought of making an image, which is one reason that book is so uh, like um, painterly. Yeah. Man, that book was, uh, I remember when it came out, you know, picking it up at the time and it's like, you were an ink slinger, man. You know, like like it, it stood out. Came out of nowhere. <laughs> what is this book? And there was fanographics. Like uh, Jimmy and I were talking sort of off camera a couple of times the past few weeks about like there there is kind of like a lost. There's like a lost generation of 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 fantagraphics cartoonists. Like after Johnny Ryan was like the last of that like '90s where you had mm. you know where bag you know burns like that whole crew and then there's like stuff coming out but like is it even memorable like uh, all good stuff high quality comics but just nothing really ever connected and i really did cite you as like when that book came out it was after the craft craft is dead argument with like james kachalka and like that whole movement that that generation of cartoonists were they weren't about really trying to you know, luxuriate over the, the line or whatever. is It was almost like anti-craft. And then you were the first of like this new thing where it's like, okay, let's bring back skills mm. and make something. But then you went away to fucking New York <laughs> and stuff, man. I'm saying you could have been a contender, man. But uh, it's good to have you back. Oh, that's what I'm saying. man. So, so spent the last two years just focused on comics and it was honestly two of the happiest years of my life. And, uh, th and thank you to you guys. I mean, you know, doing the, like I have, 
I kind of fell into this career in illustration, which is what took me away from comics because I discovered that I could, you know, keep the lights on and feed myself that way. And, and it's worth noting for anybody that's familiar with your graphic novels but may not know the illustration side of ah. your career, like two gold medals from the Society of Illustrators for Editorial Illustration. I mean, that, that's, that's very high recognition. Uh, a number of New Yorker covers, like the illustration work that you have done Highest is very level. high level. Yes. Highest level. Mm, mm. Thank you. And we met your dad at the, at the show. He introduced <laughs> himself to us, Ben. And uh, I said everything I just said. And your dad was like, the boy has to pay the bill. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm not keeping the roof over his head. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a good dad. He make, make sure that I, can, I pay my own way. Um, but yeah, and he's an accountant. So I did grow up with that very like, if you're going to do this, you better figure out how to do it. So that's why when I was doing Nightfisher, I was, I was a waiter in New York for eight years um, while I kind of transitioned from comics and, and then eventually had enough work in illustration. I was, yeah, waiting tables. We digressed, and I think we uh, stopped you from paying us some compliments. Uh, to the uh, so let, let's just... Uh, uh, I, I was just making something up. but uh, No, what, what I was going to say is that, uh, yeah, during those two years, you know, like um, taking a break from like paid work to like do a passion project, it, it's, those are kind of scary, weird things to do. But like having you two guys making it feel so normal every day, I could just listen to you guys like banter about some dumb shit I forgot about 20 years ago <laughs> actually made me feel it felt so normal to make comics and like I, I'm just so grateful for the show it really really helped me make my book and finish my book so yeah it really was like a service you guys are providing I'm just saying Merritt Michaels is going to become gun gunning for you calling, calling <laughs> some of this stuff the dumb shit he's looking for you man <laughs> <laughs> yeah not to mention some comments below, probably. <laughs> We're going to have to bring the, the audience back around now. I apologize. There's nothing dumb about Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> so a long, a long ways between uh, No One Else and, and uh, Nightfisher, and not just in years, but you go from being this ink slinger and ink on paper to all digital? All digital, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that happened like just kind of organically where around over the years it was like from you know editorial illustration I actually hated doing it for years mostly because of the revisions and so I'd like slave over this like inked thing and and you know maybe have a paste up in there for edit send it into the editor and be like uh, in the next five hours we need like change X Y and Z and it would just made it very clear that like a digital process would stream like that like just even just having to scan something was the kind of like mental interruption that like uh, I, I didn't want to, I, I, it was nice to kind of slowly more and more, first it was like sketching digitally and then it was like retouches digitally and then eventually it was just the whole process was digital. Walk us through your digital tools, like what's your yeah. setup, what do you use? Um, so I'm on a Cintiq and I'm drawing in Photoshop. I have never touched, um, like for years, up until like maybe three years ago, I was on like a, like a bootleg Photoshop, whatever the last like Photoshop on a disc was. Um, and then I finally just started paying for it was it was absurd. I started paying for the program But I just say that is like I, I just have a, I don't like learning new stuff I don't like learning new tools when I see the kind of stuff that um, uh, Clip studio like all the tools built into that. I'm like, oh, that's definitely better But I'm, I'm just like an old man stuck in his ways like, you know, so it's Photoshop on a laptop hooked up to a Cintiq and I've got like a 10 year old Cintiq that works like a charm and I and uh, yeah, it's all all digital do you design your own brushes and stuff? No, I use a uh, um, uh, Kyle. Oh, I, I want to give him a plug here. K 
Kyle Brush. Um, sorry, Kyle. I can't remember. For some reason, I'm blanking on the last name. But uh, I am too. I feel so bad too. I, <laughs> I've talked to that guy. If if you draw and make comics, you, like I think he has some pretty good like sponsored ads and stuff that uh, show up or like on Twitter. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of people retweet his stuff whenever he puts out a new texture or something. Yeah, man, it's right into my brain. But yeah, his brushes are great. I, I, I but you know what's funny is like for a while. Still, when I'm doing my illustration work, I'll try to kind of like mimic what I was doing with a br with a regular brush and a nib and stuff. But finally, like on no one else, I was like, oh, I just want this to be like, I just use the pencil tool. Like it's just straight up like one, like no, um, sometimes not even any pressure on it. It's just like the straight up Kyle T. Webster. That's the guy. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a straight up like, you know, totally dead line. And then that's kind of... Um, I used to be, I'll, I'll tell a quick story, there was, um, I got invited to, I did some things for the New York Times and they wanted to take a picture of me. And I go in and I meet with the photo editor and we're sitting for like half an hour and she's taking all these pictures with her phone. And I'm like, when is she going to pull out like the real camera? And then finally I was like, do you shoot all your, like all these photos for the New York Times on an iPhone? She's like, the iPhone's the look of today. Like the world of today is the look through iPhone lens. And when she said that to me, I was like, why am I trying to make my digital tools look like analog tools? And uh, artists like Jillian Tamaki, like she just doesn't hide it. And that, like, I think it's so courageous. And it made, it made me think like, like, yeah, like, why are you trying to like cover up something? Like, it's, it's like a lie. And um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. I've done some really painstaking stuff to recreate what <laughs> looks like old analog processes. Yeah. And it just seems like, unless you're really going for a period piece or something that exactly. you want it to fool someone, just embrace the tools. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let transparent process. Yeah. So so I've been, I've really, yeah, just kind of gotten into, and it's still, I'm still like, st like I still have such a love for the, all the old material that I, I think it's not maybe totally obviously digital, but. But yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not like going out of my way to hide it. Yeah. Do you find the digital is faster? Uh, it's only faster because it edits out all the like switching parts. To, for me, it's like okay, I don't have to like put down the brush and then like wash something and then like scan something and then like cut out a different piece of paper. Like it cuts out all that stuff. The actual like drawing part, I'm not sure it's any faster, but it is different. And I do think that I arrive at different solutions because of it. Um, like one of the like just like the way I work now is I t typically will like all my sketches are I start on a gray page and I work with black and white and just being able to kind of you know that's the way I learned how to draw when I was like freshman year drawing with charcoal you know and I find that like working with shapes instead of just line actually I, I think it's I just I don't know it's so it's a, it's not exactly a perfect combination like if I were to draw on paper I would I would just think about it differently whereas when I'm drawing digitally like um, it's a it's a different pro a totally different process I think yeah can you talk about your writing process yeah Are you drawing and writing at the same time um I th for for <laughs> I felt like a little bit imposter because I've only written like three books um, but uh, I think all three times were basically like start with a pretty like start with a script, try to kind of get it as far as I can go, write myself into a corner and then like start drawing and kind of like draw myself into a corner and then like write, draw. And then eventually I just have like a very sketchy, blurry version of the whole thing. And then it's just like refining the whole thing at the same time and getting it back to like certainly working digitally was that way where I had like a 
like a Monet version of the whole thing that slowly crystallized into the like sharp version. Is it fair to call those drafts? Like, like yeah. you say you have like a draft. I always yeah. associate that with Mazzucchelli because we've talked to so many students of his that have been, I guess, forced to make those <laughs> drafts. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I think that's a way that's common with uh, working with an editor too. So like yeah. now that you have these publishing houses that are more in a traditional publishing model rather than say Marvel or DC assembly line model. Right. Um, that kind of like drafts, I think, is how editors and publishers are able to interact, you know, with the graphic novel that's being made. Totally. And yeah, totally. Like the first time I did that really like, like with Night Fisher, I, I had never made a comic before. So I was just kind of like whatever stuck to the wall was like was how it was going to work. And I was almost like playing a game of like, let me have some kind of visual storytelling trick on every page and just kind of like trying to get to the end and then spent time reworking it all when it was done. But with with when I was working with Francoise, it was like a series of of like drafts. I should say my second book, The Shark King, was a kids book published by Toon, which is Francoise Mouly's like kids book line and um, kids comics line. And, and, and for anybody not familiar with that name at home, uh, the co-publisher of Raw Magazine, which you know super influential magazine in the eighties, uh, a person who knows comics exceptionally well, Francoise. Yeah, and and, and absolutely, and she's so amazing, like as an editor as well. Where like just on the fly, I would bring her the, the like a super loose pencil sketch of the whole book. That's only it was easy to do. I think that book is I don't know, thirty pages or so or less maybe, and um, and just she would just like read. And on the fly, like give notes as we as, as we'd go through really detailed, really sharp notes, all about clarity, all about like, um, really just totally focused on clarity. And and it was such an education to work that way in in iterative drafts, um, that, um, I found that really helpful. And you know the the, the adage um, writing is rewriting, I always found that to be such a limitation in comics, and particularly like. Between these two books, between Night Fisher and No One Else, I have like, I've got a pretty solid stack of abandoned graphic novel pages, like hand, like drawn graphic novel pages. Like if they look like they're two different styles, I've I've got the the uh, Pro Magnum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Between version. Like you'll see, yeah, there's the whole exactly, exactly the uh, the missing link. The missing link. There are like four missing links that that connect it all. But um, and I think one of the reasons I kept like bailing on those projects was that um. I would just keep thinking of all the things I wanted to change, but it was kind of like halfway, like one foot in, one foot out. And then with after 15 years of doing illustration, getting very used to revision, and also working in a super pared down style, like I could just like, you know work much more fluidly and and get those revisions re working. Uh, this book had like 30 drafts that I just kept reworking and redrawing. But would you consider yourself a perfectionist? <laughs> <laughs> um, 100%, 100%. But also yes. But also, like, um, I think about this. I think about this a lot because comics also has such a tradition. Some of my favorite comics, be it like Frank King or any of the any of the daily strips, which are a lot of my favorite comics. I mean, Schultz is like my my my. Well, probably changes every three years, but like right now, Schultz is like my hero, my biggest hero. Um, I mean, he's just going off the cuff every day, right? Right. And and produced in my mind like the, the like this amazing this you know huge monumental thing um but i also there are other books that were like just so belabored but like i think pay off you know it's like it's like that extra 
what they say like like the, the last 10% of perfection takes like twice as long or whatever but I think sometimes it's worth it I don't know maybe I think I might just be justifying that to myself well but. I mean there's that you know that Klaus line about you know the last five percentage of Klaus and Jim Woodring you mm. know that that generation of fanographics cartoonists they talked about the the five the five percent rule man mm. so like go back and uh, what is it like do do five percent more than everybody else yeah. like when you're yeah. finished go back and basically change fix all the stuff that uh, is, is sticking in your craw because this is the last time this is your last chance it's yeah. gonna be hitting the print yeah print button pretty soon uh yeah i believe that and i, I think their work shows it like it, it does like it's worth rereading like that work is worth rereading you know where it's like uh and so, i mean charles schultz was doing something different but um i do feel like that extra effort i think of like i know speaking of david mazzucchelli like asterius polyp is one of those books that like is so dense and like my on my first read through it felt almost like it felt it, it felt very cooked it felt very cooked um but as i reread it over and over again of the years i'm like oh no like like th that that feeling of being overbaked or whatever like goes away and i'm just like i'm so glad he actually did spend 10 years on this thing because this is a unforgettable work that like stands above uh the rest of the stuff like would you guys rather have uh asterius polyp or like Name names, baby. <laughs> Name <laughs> or, names, dude. Or like, or like three more issues of of of, or like, le or ten years worth more of Rubber Blanket. You know, <clears throat> man, that's 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 so interesting. I thought you were gonna go further back and say Batman. You know, have him be the regular Batman artist for ten years or something. Oh, okay, yeah, let's go I was, there. I, I I had a similar reaction um, to Asterios Pollock. Yeah, uh, it's a book I was disappointed with the first time I read, and yeah. now love and think like this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but some of it was expectations because, like, you the, look the at the baggage of the you, old superhero stuff. Yeah, you think stuff. of like the stuff. You know, he's so good as a superhero artist when he's doing Daredevil and whenever he was doing Batman. Like, like maybe the best figure artist to do Marvel DC comics, and those are done in the exact opposite way of what you're describing. Right? right. It's like you don't get to do drafts of your monthly superhero comic. It is as fast as you can draw it sure. and get it onto the next person on the assembly line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny whenever it's like Mazzucchelli because he's an example of someone who's done both systems. Sure. At a high level, but it's very easy to love one of them or to have the expectations of one versus the other, depending on maybe what you encountered first. Uh, but you know, it's rare. You know, like you don't have the Dan Clouds where he was rushing a monthly book out for a few years. There was that weird transitional period too, uh, from comic books to graphic novels, and the people who were used to doing the pamphlets, like seeing their quote unquote like graphic novel style, it was much more spare and and uh stripped down you gotta name a name here man uh frank miller family values okay yeah, you know yeah, much yeah. more but then like so as a kid it was just like oh what is this but then you look at it now very expressive uh brush lines and it's really pretty cool looking man but it's so different than you know big fat kill or something that just came out right right before that to name yeah. a name because you put me on the spot <laughs> <laughs> no i appreciate that i can visualize that yeah 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 and then even stuff like um you know the stuff that Farrell did with with uh, Omega the Unknown or something like that. It's like there's like a stripped down kind of uh, energy, and that was you know there was a transitional period there. But but your book comes out around that time too, and that that was the thing where bringing craft back to comics, like you know it it had that kind of rubber blanket, that that bold, thick, heavy brush that uh, we would see with in guys like you know Paul Pope and. The rubber blanket energy and and it, yeah. it just it brought craft back in like a strong way and it wasn't that pared down 
graphic novel style of the early aughts where people were kind of you could you could tell that the person who was making the graphic novel started on page one of like 200 and they knew <laughs> that they had to get to that final place you know as quick as possible or something yeah did you see uh any of the asterios polyp pages uh in production did he ever bring them to class or anything no he he is so tight-lipped about that stuff um and did uh, you even know he was working yeah on it? yeah we talk about it we talk about it and he'd say he'd give me like these very mysterious <laughs> nuggets of wisdom that i'm so grateful for i still think about um he'd say things like i'd be like how's the book going and this is like year six or something and he'd be like or this is like year eight and he'd be like I'm finally figuring out what the characters look like. I'm like, what? You've been working on this for eight years. <laughs> like, um, and uh, I remember one time I had a question for him because you know I was working on Night Fisher. I, I, I started Night Fisher. I finished the first 60 pages of Night Fisher before I ever had David's class. Um, I was, uh, I, I, before I had ever taken a comics class, I was just like, um, just started going for it. Uh, my junior year of college and then my senior year of college, I took David's class and then I finished it two year, for the next two years waited tables and finished, worked underneath my bed in a small Brooklyn apartment, finishing that book. And I would talk to David throughout that time. And uh, oh, I forgot where I was going with that story. But yeah. Mysterious Paula, uh, we yeah. were talking. Mm, well, sorry. Yeah, you you yeah. weren't like, hey, David, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was very, very tight-lipped. And, and yeah, he, you know, he was working on this thing. And I, I could not wait to see it. And when I first, when I remember first seeing the few images of it, you guys probably had the same experience. I was like, whoa, that's not what I meant. He would, he would let things slip. Like, I'm working with calligraphy pens now. I'm like, what? How do, like, how do you draw, like, figures with, what? And, uh, but yeah, it all came together. We, we cracked open that one issue of Amazing Heroes where he did an interview around the time that year one was, was mm. going down. Yeah. And there are three or four um, segments where he's talking about his love of Chester Brown. Mm. I mean, Chester Gold. Yeah. The Mustard Brothers, I call them. And, <laughs> uh, you know, Dick Tracy, all that stuff. I, and and if, I, if I could, I would draw like Chester Gold. Yeah. And then when you see Asterios Polyp, he's always in Absolutely. that Dick Tracy profile. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Same hard symmetry. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, we talked about Gold a couple times. Um, uh, I was also at that period, like, right, like transitioning out of Night Fisher, I got obsessed with Gold. And I actually have a Gold original. Um, what, that, what period? Uh, it's 1948. So like excellent period, yeah, perfect period. It's my, it's my favorite, and my thing with the thing I, I the so I mean he did so many things well. If I could go back and find a page, I'd want like a super violent page, just because I think those are just really fun. Real Espe glory, especially like there's like, well, I don't want to put that on camera, but yeah, there's some good violent stuff in those comics. But um, I have I I really love the way that he's able to draw like extremely deep space, like a like a like miles of a cityscape, uh, with with but flat it's like a japanese print in that way it's like a like like a hokusai or something where you're looking at miles of space but it's flat patterns and i i just i just love the way he he's able to do that and the one i have has a really great like train track into the distant scene that yeah yeah oh but yeah we, i talked to david that reminds me of what i wanted to say about it earlier was i remember talking to david and I, while i was working on night fisher and being like um my question for him was when you get stuck and you can't solve a problem like, who do you look at? Because I was still in that phase where, you know, with Night Fisher, I'm like, ah, I can't draw this water. Let me open up, a, like, you know, Tearing the Pirates or let me open up a Toast book or whatever. Um, and David's answer was like, I used to do that. 
<laughs> like, 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 and and now I get it, you know. Like now I'm a little older and just kind of been, uh, uh, maybe, just falling into my own style deeper and deeper and deeper, and like less interested in copying the other guy. Of course, it's still handy occasionally when you really can't figure out something. But it, you know what he said? He said, when I get to that point where I'm stuck, I try to approach it from a different way, and I actually I, I find that the same way, you know. And uh, yeah take it easier just try just do something easier why are you trying so hard <laughs> we don't really have a system of you know apprenticeships uh here in the states that much man uh so having a teacher like Mazzucchelli like that's probably as close as as one can get are there any memorable assignments that he gave you that that you still think about yeah I they're very memorable because I teach some of them because now that I teach I basically teach his class um not totally uh but there were the way he designed his class was basically like every week there was a new element like um, building like building the kind of different elements of comic storytelling um, and I found that super effective especially you know I was already 60 pages into Night Fisher and so I like I felt like um, I kind of had a I, I liked to have to like forget everything I know you know art school is very good at that where they'll be like you know break your hands forget everything you know we're gonna start from the from from the start and uh, one of the assignments that is so compelling, and I do a version of it, probably the most compelling assignment, and probably the assignment that produced the best work from the class, was there was it was a set number of pages. Like usually, his assignments didn't have a I don't I don't remember actually, but this one it had to be three pages, and all three pages are a um, have the same panel architecture, and so like if it's like a three panel on the top two in the middle and then a big splash or whatever like all three have to have the same architecture and then the idea is um, like you essentially if you put something here on, in this panel on page one on the next page that gives you an opportunity to like do a callback um, in the same kind of real estate and it's basically just drawing attention to the fact that comics do have unlike um, a movie where the an image is being replaced every few seconds like comics actually have real estate like that and and you think about um, like the example like from like say Batman year one is on page seven um, you know exactly where I'm going with this yeah. uh, Bruce Wayne is kicking a tree and it's like the tree is splitting in half and you're looking at you like why is he kicking the one tree in his yard and then <laughs> on panel like a page like 67 or whatever he's he's kicking the the pillar to knock out the, the entire room and it's the exact same panel repeated and it's also in the exact same place on the page and uh, so that was the kind of like um, concrete thinking about comics as like a concrete uh, physical space that really is like so unique to comics as opposed to any kind of visual storytelling that I I really appreciated how deep like David would go with that that's one of those uh great lessons of um harvey kurtzman like mm. when you when you crack open the mad comic books you see a lot of that that's the first time i ever seen that stuff think mm. about think mm -hmm. about that um the mole the mole uh, yeah the mole you know yeah like, like digging through the you know. and uh you know just seeing that repeated panel stuff and uh i've always like those mad comics they really are like the greatest textbook in like comic book storytelling for those kinds of reasons totally and seeing that applied in superhero comics i yeah. mean fantastic yeah and yeah and david is a huge fan a huge kurtzman fan yeah yeah and so i don't think i'd seen a lot of that work the only work the only kurtzman work i saw were the hey look strips because it was in that top 100 uh um t comics journal list so i, I tracked those down but um 
I never I never really saw a lot of that mad stuff until until like later talking to David about that stuff and and, and taking a close look at kind of the the, mad, the classic mad comics was like a definite eye opener. What was the reaction to Night Fisher for you? Um, well, so when I got my publishing contract, um, that you sounds know, so professional. <laughs> I know. Graphics. <laughs> More like when Gary said he would publish it, maybe. <laughs> no, um, well, that would be breaking kayfabe. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, when I was invited into the high rise, um, no, uh, I I sent it as a blind submission, um, Night Fisher, and. Um, Maybe this is a funny story where um, I sent it in and like two weeks passed and I, I didn't hear anything back. And I had been working on this thing for three years and Fenographics was like, you know, it, I, I didn't feel like, I feel like it was the only publisher for me. Like there, there were other publishers, but I really felt like that book, I really wanted it so bad. I just wanted it to be published by Fenographics so bad. And I didn't feel like my second choices were the right fit for the book. And um, I didn't hear back from it for two weeks. And I'm broke. I'm like waiting tables two days a week just to pay enough for rent, and the rest of the time I'm, I'm uh, drawing underneath my bed in like share, a, a room I share with four guys, <laughs> and and uh, I'm cold. It's winter, and I have to go buy a coat, and I'm like in like Burlington Coat Factory, and I get like it's like I don't know what possessed me to put on. I got like the ugliest like shirling, like ugly like pale coat that was in Burlington Coat Factory. I'm looking in the mirror that's got the three-way mirror, you know. And my phone rings and I pick up the phone and it's an unknown number and I'm like hello and he's like hi uh I can't do a Gary impression but it's Gary Groth <laughs> and he's like why aren't you responding to my emails and I was like I didn't what I didn't get any emails and he's like we want to publish your book and I'm like looking at myself wearing this terrible coat in the mirror and like I felt like my my world changes right at that moment it was like the biggest dream come true and, you know, a lot of cool stuff happens in, in you know, since then in my career and stuff. But I still thought that that was the moment, you know, that was just like when my my deepest dreams just like came true in that dumb coat. And uh, but your question was, how was that book received? Um, it got really good reviews. Um, and I think that there's just enough. This this is breaking kayfabe, maybe for for people at home thinking about I, I wouldn't recommend this, but there's just enough in that book that is like kind of like educational where I talk a lot of I talk a little bit about kind of like history of Hawaii the kind of like landscape of Hawaii the invasive species of Hawaii I think that was part of it and also like it kind of like librarians at that time were looking for diversity and like I think that was just enough where like it got some ground in like libraries and so and that, if you can do that, like, you know, that helps. I think Hip Hop Family Tree, I'm sure, benefited from that, right? Yeah. Can, can, can you talk numbers? Do you know how, how many uh, copies are floating? Of the original edition, there were 10,000 copies. So it's not like a huge print run, but it was enough to, uh, like, kind of get around. And um, the, um, where was I? Library. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, well, so, but, you know, it takes a year for the book to go to actually come out. So I had that whole year and I, I was feeling myself, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm like my favorite publisher. I'm so cool. And uh, so I'm like, you know what? More people should read comics. Like I'm going to make comics and send them to like regular magazines. And of course they'll publish my great comics because I'm awesome. And like I'll, I'll send it to them. And, and so what I did was I, I just would like I drew this comic about um, it was later published in Mome and also The Believer. But it was a comic about John James Audubon. And it was like drawn in the style of John James Audubon. 
and um, I was like, well, this is a book about, or this is a comic about like hunting. So, of course, Outdoor Magazine will. I wasn't this ag- uh, arrogant, but I was like, Outdoor Magazine will publish this. So, I open up Outdoor Magazine. I look at the masthead and I look at the art director, and like the art director is John Smith or something. And I'd email John Smith at outdoormagazine.com, J Smith at outdoormagazine.com, J underscore Smith at Outdoor Magazine. And that totally works. Like you can guess people's emails and got rejection after rejection after rejection. And when I was done with hunting magazines, I, I eventually sent it to the New Yorker. And I heard that I, I got the I got the email right. And um, one of the editors wrote back to me and she was like, I don't know what you think we're going to do with this comic strip, but I have an advanced copy of Night Fisher on my desk. I love it. Do you want to do an illustration for us? And so when I think of like the, to answer your question, what was the response to Night Fisher? Like that's the moment I think about where somehow that that book just unlocked every door for me. Every my the rest of my life was was kind of formed by that 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 moment really. So you have that moment to thank for or yeah, the, no no comics after that because of that moment. But <laughs> but yeah, so that was yeah. What was some of the the other Fantagraphics books that were coming out around that time? Is like Paul Hornschmeyer and Anders Nilsson still around there? That stuff was coming out, um, but like you know it was like. I wanted to be in the club with like of course with like Klaus and like Ware and with um and they were just started complete peanuts and like and like Crumb was still like you know it wasn't that long after like the like self-loathing and and um art and beauty magazine and that stuff was coming out so it was really a, a time when it was like the you know the world's greatest cartoonist like that was undebatable like you could not there was no argument against it um at that point now you I think you could you could stage a, a an argument. The world is just so different, man. You yeah. could have bought every independent comic totally. that came out back then, and, totally. and you know, still have money left over to pay the rent and shit like that. And Absolutely. you could read all the stuff, you know, two dozen totally. tops. And that was right before, like, three of the guys I just mentioned jumped ship and got published by Pantheon, right? So, yeah. Um. I was thinking of um, three cartoonists that you mentioned earlier, like Paolo Rivera and these guys, and wondering, yeah. like, did you ever consider? following with them into more of like the Marvel DC direction this is a funny story so um, so Paulo I love you man this guy he's the best guy he really is the best guy and uh, Paulo was the kid the savant like in our whole class we're like and he was our senior year when we took class from David he like was like struggling to finish some of his assignments because he was doing oil painted Doctor Doom comics for Marvel right he like he had health insurance drawing spider-man by the time we were like 24 or something right so he's the savant and like um when we were seniors at some point like um marvel like called him and they were like we they uh quesada was courting him um and this was the same time when marvel was publishing like a uh, gay rawhide kid you know axel alonzo was like a powerful kind of uh, tastemaker there at that time and so like they were really like anything that anything that sticks to the walls let's try it because we're bankrupt and we just need to get out of this hole and to their credit they, they found something out that worked um, so right before ultimates I guess kind of like where yeah that weird period right and um, so they're they're trying to court Mar- uh, Paulo and they're like come to New York we're gonna put you up in a hotel and we're gonna give you a tour of the office we're gonna wine and dine you and Paulo was like cool but Kikuo is gonna come and that guy fucking brought me to the Marvel. Like, what a friend. Thank you, Paulo. I'll never forget that. And so I go in there, and Paulo's having his meeting with, um, with Quesada. And uh, 
and Quesada looks at my work and he's like, I have, so at that point I had 60, 60 pages of Night Fisher done. Um, they don't look like the ones in the book, but they're, they're pretty, pretty close. And Quesada looks at it and is like, Axel's going to like your work. So I go in to, a, to, a, to sit down with Axel and sw so sweet, so sweet. He sits me down and he's like, he, he, he's holding up my work. He's like, I like it. I like it. He's like, I got a, you got a fan in me, but uh, here at Marvel, we're not into this Tintin shit. <laughs> which is funny because I heard I heard I heard Frank quietly like say the same thing about I don't think it was the same editor but on your interview he said it was the same thing I was like Axel said that to me um, but he meant it in like a what he meant was like um, we can't we, you, ha you can't you, sell it we can't sell we can't sell what you're doing now but we need to see what um, what 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 you do when you start doing like a, a Marvel House uh, storytelling? It was really just the storytelling. It wasn't the drawing style. He wanted to see you know like you know the the fist out of the panel, all that stuff. And um, so he's like, we have a new property um, that we're building. We want you to like, what can you do with Ant Man? He's like, I think we'll do good on Ant Man. And he's like, and he was cool. He was like, do you like just send us your ideas? I want your ideas about Ant Man. So I'm in school still, so I'm like in between assignments. I go home like Ant-Man, Ant-Man, all right. And so I guess in my mind, I'm like, I'll do that like Fanagraphics Ant-Man. <laughs> so, so I have, um, I had, I did this drawing of Ant-Man like standing on like a, a molecule. And it's like the, you know, the real, like, like it's like a ball. It's an H2O molecule. And it says like H on it and like two, an, uh, two balls that say O. And Ant-Man's like crouching on it. And he's like, if I'm smaller than a molecule, what the hell am I made of? So it's just a dumb joke. Instead of Ant-Man, it says Ant, but then there's like an ST added, so it says Angstman. Um, and uh, so it's like a corny, like kind of indie joke. And then I designed him and he like, the Ant logo was on his crotch. I thought that was funny. And I had him like running through the, a rainstorm, like in a condom. Um, and Axel loved it. Axel was super into it. And uh, he then, he was like, I went, so I, I emailed it to him and he was like, uh, like put it into uh, I, I can't remember if he sent me a script but he wanted to see like actual pages with everything and I was like my senior year, I was trying to finish cla like classes and stuff I was trying to like pass art school and um, in my mind I, I and I had I had a half finished book that I was really passionate about and in my mind I was like if they want to hire me now like they'll want to hire me even more like if I finish this book and and I, I made that choice I, f I figured like I can work for Marvel after I finish Night Fisher. I didn't think it was gonna take me two more years, but um, that was the best choice I ever made. Like that, was, like I'm so glad I made that choice. I'm so lucky that like uh, I made Night Fisher in a moment when like that like a graphic novel could be like you know like five years earlier like there was be I don't know if there would be a place for that book you know so. So what yeah. brand design would you do? Let's uh, <laughs> go around. Yeah. Oh, um, I was talking about you know it's funny I talked about with talked about it with my friend Casey. Shout out to my friend Casey. Um, we, we joke about it because we thought Jim, he, we both thought Jim was working on um, Spider-Man Grand Design the whole time. Well, I was like skeptical, but I'm, I'm, I can't wait for Hulk Grand Design. Um, and the final conclusion that, oops, excuse me, the final conclusion that I came to is like, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to do a Grand Design, but I would do Reggae Family Tree. That's what I had to do. Because growing up in Maui, man, like that's the music of Maui. And just like, I love that music so much. And I, I feel like, you know, it goes deep here, so, but I don't know if I'm the guy to make that book, honestly, but, yeah, I don't know, I'll keep thinking about that, yeah. <laughs> Read the yeah. fuck out of that one. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But also with that Ant-Man thing, that's around the time period that Kirkman did his run on Ant-Man. 
Um, I think it was a little bit before that. So oh, okay, I, that okay. was been like I would have been two thousand three. I'm not sure when Kirkman did his, but uh, but yeah. You mentioned Maui. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that a bit because yeah. like all of your books are hugely influenced, set in, uh, built around mythology or legends of Hawaii. Um, that's that that feels like a very specific thing to Hawaii. Like like we're here after Maui Comic Con, and I picked up a number of books from local creators. And a lot of them have to do with, you know, Hawaii, its history, its people, that setting. That seems very special and unique to this place. And uh, it reminded me of, like, I think of us coming from Pittsburgh and it's like sports or like the history that we're just, you know, covered with, uh, you know, in, in video and, and in stories from old people that we know. It's very interesting and unique, I think, to Hawaii. It's something that I don't see in a lot of other I don't know, creators. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Is that something you get from school, from your parents? Is that like a tradition? Tell us about growing up here in terms of story that, that you're oh. supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I definitely grew up with like all the myths and stuff, like um, reading about those in school. Like, I don't know when the program started, but when I was in elementary school, we had something called the Kupuna program. Kupuna just means like elder or grandparent. And like literally had just like, like, uh, like el our elders come in and like tell stories of like the old days and that was the best I loved it and we learned like different kind of medicinal cures and we learned the, the mythology and we learned chants and we learned songs and stuff and um, it's just it's just part of the culture here and it's uh, in terms of that showing up in my work like I think um, like with with Night Fisher I definitely uh, that, uh, that was I think I think the question I, I I had just when I was in college I kind of had moved away from Kongs as I mentioned, and then I read I Never Liked You, and that book was so um, honest and direct, and and it kind of was like one of the you know brought me back into comics and I was like I want to what is my story like what is the like what is the story that only I could tell, and I remember at that time that was right around when like that movie Fifty First Dates came out, where like Ralph Schneider was like. <laughs> Like just like just the most like offensive like like oh. impersonation of a local person, and I, I was just like so painful that like every movie and every presentation of Hawaii was like this Hawaii that I just could didn't recognize at all, and it was just like it was it was it's painful to see that stuff, and I was like, I'm gonna teach these Hawaiians. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it's kind of like, and so and I and um. And that was kind of like the approach I, I, I took to it. I mean, not, that was a little extreme, but um, I really, you know, I, I, I made a character that was like from the mainland. Uh, and in my mind, I was like, oh, he can be like an avatar for like mainland readers. And I kind of regret that choice now. But um, but I would definitely like had an idea that like I wanted to show like the Hawaii that I knew just because I never saw it reflected in, in media. And um, I also just thought it'd be interesting. Part of that was like um, reading uh, the Hernandez brothers work, right? Because it's like, I don't know anything about like like Mexican American punk rock scene, but when they talk about it in those comics, they don't like explain anything. They just put you there and you you sink or swim. And that there's a paradox that happens where like that I recognize in their work where it's like the more specific they were to their individual truth, like the more universally understandable it is somehow. And that was that that like that made a lot of sense to me. And I was just like, I'm gonna try to be as specific as possible. Just like be specific to Maui, be specific to my experience. And so um, that's how it came about in Night Fisher. And then uh, 
late, later, I, just, I try to get away from it, but it just keeps coming back. Like, I originally set no one else in Cape Cod where I was living when I first came up with the idea. Um, and it wasn't until I reset it in Maui, all the characters changed and there were people, I knew them, I knew the space, it was so familiar. They were like my friends, they were my family and, and it's a fictional story, but setting it in Maui just made it real. So something about, I don't know, can't, can't, can't escape it. Yeah. I want to ask you a cat question. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure this this makes any sense to anybody except like there there are cats here on Maui, like mm -hmm. um a, a large the, feral, feral cat, cat yeah. population. Yeah, yeah. And there's a cat in and no one else. Mm -hmm. Um are you a cat person? Um I I would say yes, I'm a cat person. I don't have a cat currently, but I I really love cats. Yeah. Is that is that sort of how that character and that cat come into that story because of you know, cats around here, the feral cat population, the, it feels like it's a different relationship between the population and cats than it is back home, you know. Ah, um, well, yeah, they're just outside all the time, like roaming around. Um, uh, in, yeah, I, I guess in a way that this, the story, I will say that the finale that I won't give away, that's nonfiction. That actually happened, not to me, but that happened to a friend. So that was more the inspiration, but it happened in Massachusetts, that story actually, the way the ending goes in the book happened in Massachusetts. I was so. very happy with that. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't want to give away any spoilers, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that part. Yeah. The other thing that it makes me think about is um, you teach in Providence at, mm -hmm. at, uh, at RISD, and like I think of Providence as having a very distinct comics history and personality to that region and location. Does that ever cross your mind? Because yeah. not every area has that. Yeah, totally. So I, I went, I was, my freshman year in 1999, Fort Thunder was still there. And I went, I was like, I mean, I'm like a kid from like, you know, agricultural Maui. And I like walk into this giant urban warehouse where like the walls are made out of bicycles and teddy bears. And um, there's like wrestling matches. I don't know how much like the audience follows any of that stuff, but it was like a big, like big, the big, a bunch, a bunch of artsy squatters making comics and hosting wrestling matches like um of course um lightning bolt which is brian chippendale's band i don't remember the the, the oh guitarist God, name yes it's so rad fucking I mean, energy man it's so rad just a noise band like the best noise band the best, it's the best in america <laughs> like saw them play le tigre played there one oh time i know while while like crazy wrestling matches in in wild <laughs> costumes but it's it like, was yeah, it's like kaiju wrestling. Exactly. Like somebody dressed up like a donut. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> somebody dressed up like a piece of pizza. hundred <laughs> percent. And and all those guys were making comics too. Um, you know, Brian Chibdale, uh, of course. And so that I like to think of that moment. You know, there's like there's like these brief moments in American history where like like satellite cities become the center of culture, kind of like Seattle, of course, in the '90s, and then like Providence for like a month was like <laughs> that's how it usually happens. Yeah. It's like, like it's not LA New York yeah you know right. it's it's these little places where yeah. things are bubbling up right without any eyes on it right until that one tipping point exactly happens and then yeah. everybody pays attention that's a good way to put it yeah yeah um and I just got the very tail end by, by I think by my sophomore year that stuff they were evicted and or maybe my I don't know that I only went to that one party and it was like my like third day in Providence <laughs> and I was terrified <laughs> it was so scary man uh but um really really cool and it was also I was definitely into all that stuff I was into that culture I was into high water books at that time was publishing all those crazy books and um, the uh, my senior year after that so I was to answer your question I was aware of that whole world and uh, 
the RISD Museum, RISD has a great museum on campus, um, and they they actually purchased a lot of the show prints because all those amazing cartoonists, Brian Chippendale and um, uh, CF and um, uh, it's like Brian Ralph. Would Brian Ralph was kind of like Brinkman. Matt Brinkman. Thank you. Um, all those guys were would do like show posters. Beautiful silk screens sometimes. Insane. And Rizzi, the Rizzi Museum actually purchased like was smart enough. Some somebody that there is was smart. super cool actually purchased it all. And I think they even owned some of the costumes, the wild costumes that were like knit by those guys. Anyway, so it's cool that they have like the kind of local scene there. So I was aware of it. Um, but what was really cool is that. I think it was be right before um, High Water Clothes Shop. Uh, I don't, actually, I don't remember when that when High Water Clothes Shop, but in 2003, it was my senior year. They opened this thing. RISD has this thing for seniors where they invite a bunch of like professionals. You know, Hasbro comes in because they're Providence based, and then like some magazines will come in, and they'll um, do portfolio reviews of students. Um, and so there's obviously a common interest on both sides there. And Tom Devlin came through. And I showed him my 60 pages of Night Fisher. And I was just like, my questions for him were questions like, what size should this be so that it sells? Like, you know, what kind of paper do I use? Like all these questions. And he just saw me like worried about it. And he just, he looks at me and he's like, um, you will never regret making your book exactly the way that you want to make it. And I was just, that was like, that was the best professional advice I've ever gotten. It was the best personal advice I've ever gotten. It was the best artistic advice I've ever gotten. Thanks, Tom. If you're watching, I never thanked you. I would love to, I gotta, I, I tell that to other people now. Like I tell that to my students because that was so, that was just like the best wisdom for me at that moment. And um, totally, maybe that's probably part of the reason I, I like, you know, no Ant-Man for me. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really smart to, at, like to receive that kind of, uh, information while in the school setting oh, is yeah. such a valuable thing because I don't know about you man but being through a system like that where they break you down and it makes you a little bit iffy about every part of the process you know like I questioned everything when I was in school like I didn't feel like I was doing anything right because I'm seeing maybe 30 other people do things 30 d different ways and who the heck am I sure. to have a guy come through and say you got to just do your own thing like that's incredibly valuable it really was a hundred percent I mean like trust your instinct was basically the message but it like coming from a guy who you know look at the shape of teratoid heights versus uh you know ninja or, or I don't know if that, that was a different publisher but you get what I'm saying like like you know it meant a lot coming from like somebody who was doing it at that moment so that was really cool yeah Tom so, Devlin current publisher of uh uh, drawn quarterly for the people keeping points at home that's where comics was moving when you were in school and then that's what i was talking about earlier where then then night fishers on the scene it's different from that man like it really embraces craft and 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 you know kind of accurate drawing and things like that yeah i just, i really like to draw <laughs> i really like to draw and like i don't know i guess that's something like paulo and i like just as you know it's funny because um Paulo and I just were, were really close in college and we're still really close. Um, and, uh, you know, he, you know, he drew, you know, Daredevil with Mark Wade. And even though our, our, our tastes and our, the kind of work we do um, kind of diverged, like at the end of the day, like most of my favorite artists, like that I love very much is kind of based in, in draftsmanship. And like um, I, that word means a lot of different things, but like I do like, I like precise draftsmanship, you know, I like it. <laughs> 
That's a perfectionist in you. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. I saw a quote, um, you know, like like kind of prepping to talk to you, and it was, I believe you said something about how like this is the second second golden age of comics. Oh yeah. Um, can you talk about that? Like 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 say a little bit more about. Tell us about that. What's that? What's that mean to you? Um, well, I think of the first golden age of comics like as like maybe, I guess like the. I guess maybe it's the plat. I don't know what the technical terms are, but like I, you know, the the early newspaper strips, maybe maybe um, from from Nemo to like the '30s or so, like when comics were actually popular, right? Where they were the like popular mass medium, right? And then um, I think I, I think that quote's a little bit old. I don't know if I still feel that way, but it certainly felt that way right around the time when um, you know Night Fisher was coming out like it felt like there was just a sea change even when, b before Night Fisher came out when I was in college like 2000 or was it 99 or 2000 when Jimmy Corrigan came out when all the pantheon when, when the all, guys jumped the pantheon yeah that was, that was a big deal yeah right around then and it j you could feel it in the air and it was like there was a movement happening and and if I had to define that movement it would be like oh people are taking comics seriously for the first time which was something even as a kid I was like wishing for like, which is really funny because I was like reading Generation X, totally unaware of like Watchmen, and I'm like, this is art, guys. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you, you know, and but you know, we all felt it. We felt the like, you know, eyes of disdain on our medium, you know, and uh, it felt like that was going away, and that was just really, like, really, really exciting. And a weird thing is, do your students? No, I, I, I don't want to get us off track, but no, do your no. students feel that um, eyes of disdain? Because I feel like that's another one. If you're under 35 or under 30 I don't know where the cutoff is but maybe you have never really had that I think I think that their that their high school teachers are still telling them like stop drawing that anime shit I think <laughs> it but does I'm not feel like that's what gets the shade right it's like oh, the yeah. anime style or right. the manga style right and in fairness like I think that like that is the job to some degree of like a high school art teacher like um to like um like to get them to start looking instead of start like fetishizing style right um, I do think that's their job so but it is nice when I get those kids in class because they're like wait I get to do this now and I'm like yeah you're doing it like and you better do it a lot and you better do it good and they're so they're just they're so talented um, I'm not sure I'm not sure so the artist that I think about like that a lot and I've never talked to him I haven't read that much of his work but one of the guys that was like really influencing me now one probably one of my favorite cartoons now is Nick Dornasso. I don't know, have you guys? Um, yeah, so, uh, and the way I look at his work, it's like, here's a, here's a post-wear cartoonist um, that didn't, that does not have, like, the, the albatross around his neck of, like, the history of all this stuff, right? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't grow up with, with that stuff, and or, as far as I can tell, and he grew up in a world where comics were art, uh, sorry, if Nick Dronos is watching, which he, I don't think he is. Uh, like, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I think this interview's over. <laughs> but uh, I don't, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Like, I have actually no idea. But, but from what I've read and stuff, it sounds like he he didn't really grow up with that stuff. Sorry, guys. But, uh, but uh, um, showing his New Yorker shit. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, so that's the guy I look at. In terms to, to answer your question, like there's also a real power in that, and like I think his work is so strong, and like he gave me a lot of like with no one else, like he gave me a lot of courage to just like lean into like a cinematic approach and not like worry about like 
you know cinematic isn't comics or anything like that like his work like I like um, gave me a lot of permission yeah have you talked to him? I've never talked never talked to him yeah never meet your heroes I bet he's a I bet he's a really nice guy but I love his work he's he, he inspires me a ton yeah. Name some other names that inspire you. I'm curious what you guys think about Dronasso. Are you guys fans? Yeah, 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 big yeah. Time. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought Sabrina. The thing about Sabrina, like, it's funny because um, I think the drawings are ugly, right? I think the drawings are like straight up ugly, but they're also but but beautiful in their functionality. And like, it's funny thinking about it in the context of like cartoonist K Fabe and like in the context of like you know um, craft and and beautiful image making and all that kind of stuff. It's like he he somehow snuck in the back door, but. There are very few comics that, um, like, where the page, especially for cartoonists, I think, where the page disappears and you're just experiencing a story. And he's one of the, he's one of the, maybe the only one besides a few, like, maybe, like, Watterson does it for me, sometimes Schultz will do it for me, where I'm, like, the page disappears and I'm just experiencing the, the narrative. And, um, yeah. Mysterious Polyp had that quality when when I we did the reread for for kayfabe. Mm. I felt that it yeah. was it was over before I knew it. Yeah, yeah. That's what I think of as like magic, you know, with comics. If you can get to that point where sort of the you're not thinking as a reader about the formal elements, and right. I think it's that's a higher bar if you're a creator, you know, because like you're constantly trying to take apart different things. Totally. And when that disappears, like that really is kind of that magic of the storytelling. And I think there's a lot of like cartoonists do it in a bunch of different ways depending on the cartoonist i always think of stray bullets because of that eight panel grid where like i mean i don't know how many pages you need not very many before it is just like you're locked into this thing of just you're in the panels that's a um, that's a great example i think he was he might have been the first guy to actually do it for me but um, Donasso does it a little differently and i'm I, I don't know i can't perfectly describe how he does it but i'm aware yeah. of what you're describing and it's the similar thing of like I think like Jason does it a little bit. It's yeah, Jason where you does it. Peel yeah. away certain stylistic pieces, or you're reading it at a rate that you're reading so quickly that pretty soon you're just going. Like you're just, I need the story. Yeah, I think I think of it like with Dernasso. I almost think of it like like he breaks it down where the faces are are almost like uncannily. They look like blow up dolls or something. They're like almost uncannily inhuman, and yet they're these perfect like character avatars. I almost think of it like a very complex set of emojis where it's almost a font like it's like it's like cartooning as a font um, it goes it goes to the scott mcleod language comics as language it's almost like they're super leaning into the language part of yeah comics. yeah 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 that's a good way to and put it and it fits with the emoji you know like having that totally kind of stylized yeah 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 it's interesting yeah. anybody else you're excited by these days like like mm -hmm. like reading and learning from or just can't wait for their next book yeah um I always, I always really, you know, I really, really like the like um, short comics that, that they seem dashed out. I don't know how long she spends on them, but that Jillian Tamaki does. The ones she posts on Instagram, like I like Boundless a lot. Um, that's my favorite book of hers. But like from the work that I really love, love of hers is like the like, like the 10 panel like strip like that she just does on Instagram. Looks like it was drawn on an iPad and they're like, um, I love those things. Uh, who else? Um, um, some of the uh, well, Chester Brown. I love Chester Brown. We talked about that earlier. I love like just like the directness of it. Um, that's another guy who I, like Pain for it is a book where like every time I pick it up, I find I'm like forty pages in before I realize that I'm I'm reading. I don't know that book like disappears for me. Um, and then uh, there are other artists like I haven't read. 
um, I have a copy of like Rusty Brown that I, I, I like while I was working on no one else like I, I didn't want to touch it because I would like I didn't want to absorb that voice because he he's so I don't know like that like in the past that has gotten into my veins and I start I'm like who am I and I, I just wanted to stay away from it but um Klaus is a is one is a fave um, but uh I don't know I got I got really into um yeah yeah and then like obscure old stuff yeah um, so is comics back in the veins or do we expect that uh, book number four in like 2025 or something? <laughs> um, yeah I uh, I spent the last two years like hold up drawing comics and it was honestly like the two two of the happiest years of my life um, I would love to do it more um, I have not figured out a way to make it financially sustainable gotta take like, that marvel money <laughs> <laughs> yeah right yeah um but uh you know it's like just like a huge opportunity cost really to stop and draw a book um but it was also just like so fulfilling I, i'm looking for a way to balance it yeah you said in your in your small new york apartment you got like one half box yeah. left or so like like how many comics do you have and like what, what are some highlights man and, and this is mm. cartoonist kayfabe so yeah that could okay go nostalgia okay. or yeah whatever um one a book i love i really love is my my sunday press reprint of white boy you guys have like talked about it a little bit on the show but the thing about that book first of all uh i had for a minute I had like the Nemo, the Sunday Press Nemo book that I think, and that thing is just so annoying. Like, <laughs> it's so cool, but it's just like such a pain in the ass to like pull out and read it. It's like, what do you like? What do you do with it? What's cool about the White Boy book is it's like it's like this big, so I could read it in bed. But it has all the just like material, just ah, oh, the paper's so good, the printing is so good, the binding is like it doesn't have a spine. It's just like woven on the back. It's so, and, and and of course the cartoon I, I just really love. I'm like you, um called me out for being a New Yorker snob. So I'm going to call out two, <laughs> two New Yorker cartoonists who, um, who I really love. And then Ray Irvin. I always mess this up. Ray Irvin, Irvin Ray. Um, where um, he did a comic strip. So he's most famous for drawing um, uh, Eustace Tilly, um, the first New Yorker. And he was kind of like the de facto first uh, New Yorker uh, editor, art director. But he did a comic strip called The either the Smiths or the Smythes. Um, it's S-M-Y-T-H-E-S. -E um, and like White Boy, it, you know, they're both like, they both are New Yorker cartoonists and they have this just like very simple elegance to their cartooning in line. And um, the Smythes has never been reprinted because uh, I think, I don't know why, but it can be punishing to read because um, it, like maybe 80%, the punchline is like, my wife is fat. <laughs> like and it's just it's brutal to read it but i never talked to david about this but like the female protagonist in that strip looks a lot like the um i can't remember her name in asterios polyp but the woman right and um and the acting in that comic i think stands up to you name the best actor you know uh, jaime or the dennis the menace artist or um schultz even like i think the acting in that strip stands up to any of them and i uh, I have a librarian friend and I was telling her about it and she's like, oh, that was in the New York Herald. You can just like go online and look through the microfilm. And so I went through and I like, it only lasted, well, it ran from like 30 to 35, I think. And um, 1930 to 1935. And, and I, I like really, really, really love those comic strips. Um, 
but I don't think they should ever be reprinted. But <laughs> they're they're really beautiful. Yeah. Oh, we're not letting you go by unless you <laughs> give us a piece of cotton candy or two that you oh. don't have. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh my gosh. Short box that you keep <laughs> under the bed. Oh, um, what is in that thing? Um, oh, don't play like you don't. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I've got total. I've got total crap. I've got like Stormwatch one because <laughs> I, th that book is terrible. But the cover, um, like I copied that. The cover, like I like I have. I drew character designs from that one, like sitting in the back of my mom, my mom's a teacher, sitting in the back of my mom's classroom while waiting for her to finish work, um, like that look like they're Stormwatch characters, you know. I have all that crap. So you could draw Mean Fuji. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, can anyone draw Mean Fuji? Um, <laughs> um, and then I've got. Uh, I, I think you're asking for guilty pleasures. That's what you asking well, I don't for. believe in the, such. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair, you know fair. Well, I'll tell this. I'll pay you guys a compliment and say that. Um, uh, Watching your show has made me revisit a lot of stuff. And um, I went back, I don't know if I want this on camera. I went back and I, I actually had never read um, like the Daredevil Frank Miller, or the, the Frank Miller Daredevil stuff. And um, that was just before my time, you know, I was a little young. But the, the moment I, I remember vividly the moment that I wanted to buy a comic book. And it was like looking through an old issue of G.I. Joe. And it was like a mile high comics ad and the, the the thumbnail was this big of the Frank of the Wolverine Frank Miller number one that where it's like this and um, I saw that and I was like dad can we go to the comic like I need this I need this I need this comic and um, that was like the day I went and got my first comic um, spoiled brat my dad like took me and um, uh, so I have well I have all those Wolverine so oh so I but I'd actually never read the Frank Miller comics and I went back and I, I reread the whole Daredevil run pieced it together on eBay and it's funny because whenever I read any of my other old comics that I, I remember fondly from my childhood, I'm like, oh, this is terrible. But when I read the Frank Miller comics, I'm like, oh, this is how I remember comics being. Right. I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, I this mean, the channel, like, <laughs> you bust out some stuff from childhood and it's like, wow, <laughs> mom might have been half right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. The big thing that, I, that happened with me for that was like Punisher, you know, Jim Lee, uh, Punisher War Journal in Hawaii. Those were important comics to me. Those were really important comics. There's the, the famous one where he's like on a on a jet ski. Oh yeah. And and for the for the Hawaii people, like Jim Lee was like on point. Like he put like the names of comic stores in the background. Like there's a Jellies call out in there. And um so those those books meant the world to me because my favorite artists, like books in Hawaii. Now I read them like Oh man, these are so bad. The covers are rad. That, that's one but, to unpack. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the covers are bad. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> but I mean, I still have nostalgia for them. I still own them. But, uh, but, but yeah. But those those Frank Miller books, like, I'm like, oh, this is how I remember reading comics. Chris Chris Ware tells a story like when he he was collecting Marvel comics when Death of Phoenix was going down, and and his mom and grandmother like both read that comic oh dude and I'm like son this is crazy <laughs> uh, I made my mom I made my mom read uh, um, oh, I was too old for this but I made my mom oh I made my mom read Stray Bullets 4 Stray Bullets 2 the one with the I'm gonna give away the end can I give away the ending yeah the one with the like the, the, the like oh he's a politician pedophile Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's four, that's by the four. way. That's yeah. four. Yeah, 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 four. <laughs> I read it and it was like, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing, mom. Read this comic about a politician pedophile, <laughs> and she supported me. But she was like, yeah, it's not for me. No, she was cool about it. I redrew uh, Dark Knight 
Returns issue one, but as a little kid, but I was uh, I wasn't feeling my penmanship, so I had my mom letter it. <laughs> and she would just laugh at the purple prose uh-huh. of this comic. It stings, stinging sparks in my face. Like all this, stuff. she would just be like, "This is ridiculous writing." I'm like, "Mom, no, it's important comic." Like, like, Wizard magazine, Wizard magazine said so. Ah, uh, yeah, those are hard to read. Those, those, yeah. <laughs> so what else, man? Uh, promote the book. Show that thing off. Yeah. Yeah. We're in freaking Hawaii, man. We need to go back to the beach. Yeah. Uh, man, you guys, thank you so much for taking time out and um, spending time. This is my book, No One Else. I don't know if it's on the camera there. Yeah, it is. But uh, it's, a, it's a real short, it's like really a short story, or I think of it as a novella, um, 104 pages long, um, two-color, printed, um, cool fold-out color. While we're in Hawaii, um, I can't fold out the whole thing here, but there's a lots of Maui scenes and... Um, you did the design. I did all the book design, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, I think it's the I, re- I think it's the best thing I've ever done. I'm really proud of the book, and and uh, for all uh, for uh, for all its faults, uh, that was the best I could do because I really put put my heart and soul to that thing. It, um, it's a beauty for sure, and it's really cool to be able to compare it to Night Fisher in mm. terms of like the drawing. You know, mm. like they're 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 exceptional, and yet you can see stylistic differences. I mean. Jeez, how, 15 years 15 between years, them. yeah. Um, that's amazing. One question I have for you. Yeah. Format-wise, that's yeah. a pretty unusual format yeah. for a graphic novel to be like a hor- like a landscape, sure. horizontal yeah, yeah. format. Um, what inspired that? So, um, I uh, originally it was actually two up. And so, um, and I was thinking a lot about um, uh, Ice Haven. If you remember, Ice Haven was originally two up and then he, and then he squashed it down. And I was when I first was writing it, I was just like, you know, maybe this will be a, a story in now, or maybe I'll just put this in an anthology somewhere. And then um, I was like, oh no, this is turning into something that I really want to spend some time on, and and I, I cut it in half so that it, I could actually publish it with a spine. Um, it's a we- it, it's a weird book in that I guess a lot there's a but there's a lot of graphic no- graphic novels that aren't novels. Like you know, it's like a it's a short story, but. Um, Graphic yeah. novel definitely just means spine. Yeah, exactly. Let's be honest. True, 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 true. Um, but uh, but in terms of like, a, it's funny because like, you know, Fantagraphics is so awesome of, of like, you know, whatever the artist wants goes. But uh, when, if I asked Eric, I was like, well, if you had your way, hardcover, paperback, and you'd be like, hardcover. And I just thought like, um, I just love this format. I love the, this is like the La Association format kind of, right? And I just love the French folds. And I had a vision for like the whole book design being like this and with the with the Pantone color and everything. Like I, I really, I just love this format so much. And I also thought that like soft cover was the right, um, for this type of story, it didn't like make it too pretentious. Um, like it's just like a, you know, kind of smaller thing. Um, and I'm gonna, and so I had I was I'm gonna name drop I had drinks with Chip Kid, and and we're talking about it and he's like I love the book but like Kikuo, why soft cover? And I was like I just love the format like you got these it flips out and you know it's like I love it and he's like he's like no but I'm just a traditionalist you know it's hardcover first with a with a with a dust jacket and I was like I hate dust jackets and he goes Do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but he's, he's sweet and funny about it but. Um, we have some things yeah. to talk to him about, especially in terms of the belly band. Exactly. <laughs> belly bands with that dude. Yeah, yeah. Before we cut out, um, uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. Like, uh, like it's such an honor to be here. I'm such a fan of the show. It's not obvious talking about it. And um, 
uh, yeah, I, like you guys were like the voice that kept me going while I was working on that book. It was like such a help. And um, I feel like like you've done a really amazing thing where like um, I was telling you earlier, like if you had told me that there was going to be a, a show about cartoon craft and like thousands of people watched, I'm like, there's no way there's no way to do it. But but I like to think that the that the or the, the pretext of the show is wizard and nostalgia for 40 year old men <laughs> but the text of the show is cartoon craft and that's what i that's what you know i love it so but sugar with the pill man. <laughs> sugar with the pill for sure um but the subtext of the show is adult male friendship <laughs> and i feel the love when i turn this on and i love watching you guys banter i love you guys like laughing about arm hair on wolverine and that just made me it really truly like the company that you guys provided while i was working on this book is like golden so thank you man that's nice to hear the, the demographic uh breakdown really goes along with what you're saying <laughs> where should people follow you oh follow me on instagram at um r underscore kikuo underscore johnson um and yeah that's it or my website is just rkikuojohnson.com excellent yeah. man thanks dude yeah yeah thank oh, you oh i have one more thing yeah make more comments hey. <laughs> <laughs>